All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thirsty Thursday number 15, Reloaded. Uh, sorry we, we missed two weeks ago. We had something come up. Uh, Steve was called into work. Bobby was basking on the beach down in the Outer Banks enjoying his vacation and uh, had, had some trouble with his banana hammock and uh, trying to get in off the beach, a little sunburn. Uh, so we had to cancel last, or two weeks ago, so we apologize. Uh, but here we go. And, and tonight we have a uh, special guest, Michael Hickman. Um, cheers. Yes. Cheers. We haven't done this in a while. Cheers, brothers. It's good to cheers. see you again. So for tonight, um, you know, we had we had planned on talking with uh, Steve Hoovenin about um, the fatal fire that Wilmington, Delaware had uh, and how that's kind of changed him. Uh, but unfortunately, he's he's at work tonight. Um, so tonight we've got Hickman. We're going to talk with him and obviously Trevor and Bobby just about things that through our careers uh worked out for us uh maybe when we when we thought that they were maybe when we thought that they weren't and then the opposite and then kind of depending on how things are going uh and our time and all that kind of stuff uh and maybe mixed in through all of this uh talk about our mentors and and the people we learned a lot from um both good and bad uh because remember you know your mentors they can they can teach you great stuff uh but you you can sometimes learn just as much from a bad leader as you do from a good leader. So uh, with that being said, um, before I kick it around, I just want to give a shout out to our, one of our cadets in the Salisbury fire department, uh, cadet Seth Taman uh, was recently awarded the MIMS right care when it accounts award. Uh, he uh, started a Narcan education program, uh, Wacomago County public schools. Uh, and the first training that he did, he taught 17 or they, they taught 17 teachers, uh, how to use Narcan, and his plan is, is as things kind of go back to normal, to start that plan up and get it more widespread throughout the county and throughout the Board of Education. So great job, Bob. Um, keep it up, and uh, maybe we'll have you on here one night if you're watching. So with that, we'll kick it over to Trevor and keep it going. All right, great. Thanks, Ben. Um, tonight, I'm excited and terrified to have Mike Hickman on the uh, program. Uh, I've got to say that uh, Mike is one of the people I've known the longest in the fire service. He's actually one of the first people I met in the fire service, um, him and Del Baker, believe it or not. And that's another terrifying story in itself uh, from the mind of a very impressionable 16-year-old cadet who came into a fire station at uh, Montego Bay in Ocean City. And the people working were Mike and Del. So um, as you can see, it's had no deleterious effect on me whatsoever over the years. Um, I'm still a little bit twitchy, but it's all good. Uh, but when you talk about people being an example, Ben, um, just to kind of paraphrase a little bit of a George Washington quote that you know, people are always an example, whether good or bad, has an impact on you. And those are some of the things I think we'll talk about tonight. Uh, you know, Mike is one of those people, uh, one of many people I've been very fortunate to not only meet, but work with in the fire service and who've, who've had a positive impact. And uh, I will say this before we even start, Mike, love you to death. Um, Mike's been there through both personally and professionally with me through some of the best times of my life, some of the worst times of my life, and actually some of the most freaking hysterical times of my life. So, Mike, thanks for always being there, uh, no matter what the, uh, you know, what the outcome was. But, you know, these are people that you might not you know, talk to every single day or communicate with every day. But, you know, at the drop of the hat, they're always uh, there for you every day. So that's what the Brotherhood's about in the fire service. And I do have to say it about Mike um, you know, over his career. 
He's had uh, you know experience in not only the fire service, but law enforcement and a variety of other uh, interests that I'll let him talk about. So with that, again, Mike, welcome. Glad to have you here. Uh, we do. Uh, we did reach out to the FCC to make sure we have at least a 30 second delay because Mike has no filter. Um, it it kind of goes from like you know, brain to mouth, and that's one of his most endearing qualities. So I'm sure that uh, you know if if you're easily offended, this might be the time to you know go to more of a uh, PG rated webcast. But I'm sure Mike will keep it uh, within due bounds. But anyway, Mike, great to have you here tonight. Love you, brother. And I'm going to kick it over to Bobby for a little introduction on his end. Hey everybody, uh, welcome Chief Hickman. Good to have you, brother. Um, you know, I, it's uh, it's exciting to talk to different people, and uh, Mike has a, a really good extensive history. Um, <laughs> I can't wait to hear about. Um, and uh, I'm really looking forward tonight. And uh, you know, there are we don't talk enough about our mentors. Uh, we don't. We definitely don't. And that's something we should talk about more. Those people that influence you early on when you start this gig off, that that put you in the right direction. Uh, and you can talk a little bit about people that put you in the wrong direction, but I, I think we all know those people that, that we saw, um, and we've all tried things. We've all, you know, I always say when you first start off, you haven't done anything right, <laughs> and you try to do some things, some things go right, some don't. So I look forward to the discussion. So, uh, Mr. Hickman, how about introduce yourself to everybody, brother? Uh, I don't have a first name. It's just Hickman. It, it's, <laughs> that's how it's been from, from day one. My uh, my tail in the fire service is kind of started at the bottom, worked my way to the top. But my first day in emergency services was a tragic day in the history of Ocean City. My first day that I ran an emergency call was July 16th of 1983. And we all know that was the day Jeffrey Geter lost his life at the Salt Lake Cafe which is why a 17 year old who was just completing EMT was basically forced into service. So I started my career under a circumstance which, which led me to two avenues. Um, if you worked with me in Ocean City, you hung around with me in Berlin, uh, I was a character. I, I had a, a humorous side, the prankster, but I also had a very now, I also had a very serious side, and that's part of what I learned literally on day one was this is a deadly profession that we're in, and right, wrong, or indifferent, um, we have to do everything we can to enjoy ourselves because we don't know how long we're going to have, and we also have to take this job very seriously because in a moment's notice, you can be gone from this earth because of it. So I started in Berlin as a volunteer. Within a year, I had an interview in Ocean City, which consisted of the EMS captain at the time, uh, Cobra Ellingsworth, a legend, Steve Price, Roger Steger. My interview consisted of when I sat down in the uh, administrator's office was, I guess we're hiring another Berlin boy. So that started, that was the summer of 1984. I progressed up through from everything from a seasonal EMT to a dispatcher, to a CRT, to a paramedic, to a shift leader, to uh, I was gone and um, on the greener, greener pastures. So my, I cut my teeth in Ocean City. And then in 1999, while I was taking a 
um, rest break at headquarters in the bathroom upstairs in the bunk room with a fire engineering magazine, I came across a, an ad. And the ad was for a fire chief's position in a place outside of York City, Pennsylvania, a place called Springsbury. The ad had expired by a day. So I called my then mother-in-law and said, ha ha, you missed a chance to have your daughter back home, so on and so forth, since that's where she was from. And uh, long story short, I applied for the job late. I sent two resumes, faxed one, mailed one. I got two responses back. One was, you have an interview on such and such a date, and the other one was, no, thank you. So I should have taken that as an omen, but, you know, you live and learn. Ended up getting hired full-time as a career chief at the age of 34. And let's just say uh, the eastern shore of Maryland is a little bit different than York, Pennsylvania. So there were a lot of lessons learned there. I tried to follow some of my mentors that I had early on in Ocean City, their leadership style. And I'm going to name Ron Schneider as probably one of the biggest ones that I had. He was a captain, volunteer side, career guy, uh, very, very bright when it came to people, to leadership style. And he was not the, the laissez-faire type leader, but he also wasn't the dictator. He's going to ram this down your throat. He did things in a way and manner which you understood it. He uh, did it with a little humor and did it in a way in which you could understand it. And as I sit back and I, I look at this, Ron at the most was 24, 25 years old. I was 19, you know, when, when all this was going on. So you have to take that also with a, with a uh, grain of salt. He uh, was the type of guy where if he had a call, lifeguard struck by lightning. The first thing he did was got a dustpan and said, if, if, this is, if this is truly what happened, if this is all we're going to need. Of course, that wasn't the case. But um, I tried to emulate guys like that when I was coming up through the ranks and, and learning the fire service. It, uh, it's guys like that that made me appreciate the fire service. And I'm sure as we get along in the conversation, we'll get into some of the negative folks that we've all had the encounter with that we extracted information from them that was what I'm not going to do, how I'm not going to act. I, I swear I'll never be that guy or gal. And that all helps you build you, build you as a leader. And um, you're able to take all that information and move forward. So I appreciate you folks inviting me. And I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion that we get into. And as we move on, I'll get into more of the uh, my law enforcement history. <laughs> but I do appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, thanks, brother. Thanks for joining us. And thank you guys for um, for uh, Trevor and Bobby for keeping this going. I know it's we're what, 15 episodes, so it's at like 30 weeks. Uh, it's actually, it'd be 32 because uh, 15 would have been two weeks ago. So um, thank you, guys. I, I, I thoroughly enjoy these. I look at these, I uh, look forward to these every every week and, and setting them up and, and getting them running. Um, and, and talking about mentors and talking about, um, you know, people that have brought you up in the fire service. Um, unfortunately, Hickman was gone when I came to Ocean City, but I had the, the, the opportunity to work for, for Trevor and work for Bobby. Um, and and I, I have to say that it, it was truly an honor working for both of them. Uh, since I no longer am there, but um, it was, you know, you talk about those people that, that get you going, they point you in the right direction. And, um, 
you know, sometimes, sometimes, and I, I know I'm one of those people that you get going in a direction that is probably not the right direction. And then you have the people that kind of bring you back into the guardrails and say, nope, this is where we're going to stay. And, um, being a, being a, a captain in Salisbury, it's definitely one of those things. It's like, Oh, wow. I understand like some of the, the trouble that I put those guys through and, and try and change my ways and, and keep things different. Um, I'll never forget. I had a member, I was the acting assistant chief here in Salisbury one day on, on shift. And I go into the firehouse and one of, one of our volunteers is in there going, and he's a great guy, great kid, but you just never know what's, what's going to come out of his mouth next. And he's hysterical and uh, he's going off. And I'm like, Holy cow. Like, please, please shut up. Please stop talking. No, stop, stop. I got to go. Or you got to go. I got to go. Somebody's got to go. And as I'm, as I'm like trying to get him quiet, I'm like, this is what Doug Scott must feel like when he walks in the firehouse and sees me standing there. And, and I think it was, I think it was either that night or the next day I was texted. I, I sent him a text. Hey cap, I'm sorry. I really love working for you. All that kind of stuff. And, uh, Later, we got to catch up and, and talk about it, and he just he's just laughing at me. Like Waples, you don't even like you're you're the least of my worries. So, um, so w- what are what are some of the things that you guys uh, through your mentors and that and that kind of stuff? What was really driven home for you guys to to keep you going in the right direction? Well, Ben, a couple things real quick. Uh, one, I guess, pseudo correction I'll ask you to make, and I. I, I this is about how you feel, but when you said it, and I appreciate the kind words about, you know, you say working for me and Bobby, um, I know a lot of times I work, I look at working with people, not that they work for me. And I know that might be a, a technicality or what have you, but at the end of the day, you know, the glitter shit on your collar, that's an assignment. That's, that's your duty. That's what you have to check the boxes off and hopefully do the right thing each day. But, you know, especially when it comes to like the EMS side of the world, you know, my patch is no different than your patch. They don't put like a, a special little you know segment on there that says, okay, you're a lieutenant, a captain, this, that, and the other. So I think when you build those relationships at work, and I look at the people that I've worked with over the years and kind of getting a start, Mike, this will be a little blast uh, from the past for you. you know, my entrance into the fire service was actually through um, being a member of the Boy Scouts. And we did a firemanship merit badge. I had an interest in it. Um, at the time, I was... I was on the track to uh, go into the Naval Academy and, um, you know, I was able to do some stuff. And unfortunately my father passed away when I was 16. I was the first person I ever did CPR on. Didn't work by the way. Um, but nevertheless, you know, I looked at people who were on that crew that a couple of years later, I wound up working with some of these people, Chauncey Bowers, Clay Shaw, JD Wells. And I, that was an impression on me because I, I was a recipient of the service and I remember these guys, not by name, but then when I read an ambulance report later on out of curiosity, and now I'm working side by side with this person. And it's like they, they were there in one of my worst moments. So, you know, here, um, you know, these were people I started to look at as positive mentors, a very negative situation, but very positive people in the industry. Uh, one of my first days in the fire service when I was doing work study as a senior in high school, I go up to fire station four in ocean city and lo and behold, who's working, but Michael Hickman and Delbert Baker, um, both of them, very psychotic individuals. They were actually doing their house duties and putting some three in one oil in the, uh, exterior door locks. And when I was introduced to them, 
they literally turned around with a syringe full of oil and eyes this big and started laughing and made me run. So you're back. Now we can't do that again. That's pages six, seven, and eight of the HR manual today. But uh, nevertheless, these were people who, um, along with you know, great volunteer officers that I, and one of them still very active, but people like Jimmy Childs, Mike Hastings, these people who they would bring you under their wing, they would pat you on the back when you did a good job, and then immediately put a foot up your ass to make sure that you didn't get cocky, and they would they would keep you in check, and they guided you, they they mentored you. And these were people that this was not their primary occupation, but they were firemen. They were firemen through and through. And, you know, even to this day, people that I have a great deal of respect for, the first interior structure fire went on when I knocked Jimmy Childs' helmet off his head, and I thought all eight feet of him was going to kill me. But nevertheless, you know, he just put his hand, his, you know, hand this big on my shoulder and said, okay, you know, kid, you got this. So it was one of those things where you started to see how they interacted with somebody and, you know, here I am, some young snot-nosed kid full of piss and vinegar. I want to do the right thing. I'm kind of spazzy. And I, I don't know my, you know, my asshole from my elbow. Can I say that on here? Anyway, um, my, my rectal orifice from my elbow. But anyway, the point being is they, they had the patience to say, okay, look, you know, maybe you got some potential. I'll be patient with you and try to teach you the right thing. But it was up to me to accept that criticism and go forward instead of just you know, putting up those walls. So, you know, I look at people like that, um, you know, people who kind of had experience in the industry, people like a Skip Carey who would, you know, go, all right, boys, um, that addict's off. And when we were doing some live burns and, and you know, of course, me, May Kranz, some other guys, we're going to go up in that attic and put it out because, you know, at that time we figured we could put out hell with a water pistol. We go up there, have our asses handed to us, tumble down the stairs, and, you know, here's somebody standing on a, on a New York hook going, told you. So it's, you know, we, we kind of had that trial by fire, but at the same time, you saw the positives of, of how some of the people reacted. And then you also saw the very negative end of things. And like you guys have already mentioned, you said, you know, I, I'd never want to be that guy. So you, you look at the positive attributes, a person like a Dougie Scott, who always had that very calm and um, confident demeanor about them, but always took the time, um, you know, even as a cadet, when I would come up, you know, Dougie just busted his ass all morning at the station, got it done on the station duties, and here comes this young cadet from high school. Hey, Mr. Scott, can you show me how to use a human valve? And you know, he'd peel himself up out of the chair, and we would go back for the next two hours. I know he was tired. I know the last thing he wanted to do was deal with a 16-year-old kid. But at the same time, you know, he was one of those people that you know, he wouldn't let me get away with doing things until I got it right. He, he made me do it until I couldn't get it wrong. So those were the kind of people, and, and Hickman and Dell, you know, same thing. They always pushed you to be better, and they held you accountable. And you know, guess what? They don't make band-aids for feelings, and they made that very apparent to you. But you know, it helped you grow and helped you become not only better at your profession, but better at being a, a human being that could actually sit back and go, okay, is this really a big deal? Is it not a big deal? How is this going to affect me? And I, you know, I want to, I want to emulate that. And when it comes my time to pay that forward, I don't look at that as a burden. It's an obligation. So, you know, again, thanks to all those guys that I mentioned, you know, Mike, you included in that group, but, uh, you know, that's how, that's how I've been able to frame this, uh, as over a career and feel that it's uh, definitely an obligation, especially from probably the midpoint of my career on till now 
to really try to give some of that back. So again, Mike, you know, thank you for being part of that very uh, elite group, even though your, your, your choice of facial covering is a little bit disturbing to me right now, but I'm, I'm trying to get used to that. But with that, I'll, I'll kick it over to Bobby. Wow, you throw a shot, then you turn it over to somebody else. Huh? <laughs> I see how this is going. Um, you know, I guess, I guess the best way to do it is to talk about uh, mentors, uh, is to talk about, you know, how it related to me. Um, so I uh, I started off, I, I didn't come from a fire service family. My father wasn't in the fire service. I didn't really have brothers in the fire service. Um, I had a, a, a cousin that would come down in the summertime. When we, I lived in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, where I grew up at. And a cousin would come down. He's very active in, um, I think it's called Sandy Springs Fire Department up in, Mon I think it's Montgomery County, I believe. But, um, but anyways, um, he was very active up there. And I think he's their chief for a while. And he ended up being a chief down at, I guess, Texas A&M or wherever. But he, um, you know, he just got me interested in a little bit. He was really fired up with it. And I thought, man, that's really cool. And I really like firemen anyway, you know. And I just thought it was pretty cool. And I started hanging out as a little kid at Rehoboth Firehouse with, Actually, Chuck Schneider's dad was there, and there's it's crazy the the, the the people that have gone on, you know, in the past. But, anyways, my fire service career actually started in the Navy when I joined the Navy, and uh, I, I went on the uh, the fire crew on a Navy ship, uh, the USS Sumter. I was in the Navy, and um, I worked my way up to what's called they called it a number one nozzleman, which I'm not gonna get Navy firefighting, but very very different thing shipboard firefighting is. Um, but there was none of that brotherhood, none, none of that kind of thing that I've seen in the American fire service is really just kind of what you did on the ship. So general quarters sounded and we would go to our firefighting duty. And that was basically what we did for the ship. Um, so when I came out of there, I came to the American fire service, I call it, which was actually my very beginning. And I'll never forget it. Um, you know, the first person that I met after I had applied in the fire department was, uh, Doug Scott. And, and believe it or not, Doug Scott was like the youngest fire chief in Delaware at the time. And, and uh, you know, he sat me down and he talked to me. And, and Doug, to this day, has been my number one mentor, the first person that made me think that I wanted to be good at this, not just do this, you know. Um, there was another few guys around that started like a year before me. Um, uh, the Hoovenins brothers, Steve and uh, Eric Hoovenin were there. And, and, and at that point, the, the big thing back then was to go to a whole bunch of state fire schools and get all your training very, very quickly. And that's, that's kind of what I did. Um, as I went through life and, 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 and stayed in the fire service, I mean, I, I always say I survived two things so far, my teenage life and the fire service. So far, somehow I didn't get killed in either one of them. Um, but I certainly tried to. <laughs> um, but as I, as I grew up in the fire service and stayed around here, you know, I've always been kind of more of a smaller, lower volume fire departments my entire uh, career, my vocation when I was also a volunteer. Uh, but I met some some really good people. Uh, Mike Lombardo came in town and Trevor, you remember him coming in town. And, you know, Mike was um, a, a very, very good guy. And he taught me for a little bit. I was doing training in, in Ocean City at the time. And he really gave me some great insight into thought processes about the difference between aggressive and being rude and things like that. Um, and then through FDIC and a bunch of other training, I became friends with a guy named Ray McCormick up in um, FDNY. Um, and, you know, so I met a lot of really cool people. Um, and but what, what did it mean to me? Well, when I look backwards, um, the people that that really meant something to me were closest to the 50 50 split. And what I mean by that was they were honest. So if you had a good fire 
they'd say that was a fantastic fire. If you had a bad fire, they'd say that was a bad fire. Um, and, and, and so I think I always kind of gravitated towards the honesty of those, those guys. But the good fire thing's hard for a lot of us to do. I, I think it's very forced for us to congratulate other firefighters or other paramedics. or it just It's just not in our nature to kind of do that. We kind of want to be the guy that says, oh, we do this all the time and this is normal for us and all that. But in reality, it's not. We do some pretty uh, amazing things at times, you know. And so um, when I look at my whole history uh, of where it is, I think it's guys that are honest. Um, the only thing that I really missed in, my, in growing up in this in, in this service was I was often way too nice and, and way too um, allowed too much stuff when I became a manager, and you know that that is actually a form of dishonesty in my mind um, because you don't like what's happening and you're not telling these guys you don't like what's happening, and so the mentors I looked at I looked back at those guys and I thought they didn't hold back they weren't nice to me. They weren't mean to me. They just said, hey, that was dumb, Bob. Why'd you do that? That was, you know, those types of things. But if I did something good, it was good. So I think in a nutshell for 32 years, um, that really kind of narrows it down for me that, um, you know, those guys that were more balanced in the middle. And we all go through periods where we're not. We all become unbalanced through this ride, man. Sometimes you're just really negative. Uh, You know, sometimes you just don't want to deal with other stuff and you don't want to tell people bad things because you want to be in a happier place. And we all ride those rides, but this is all about readjusting as we go through this fire service, you know, just readjusting what we're doing and how we're thinking and, uh, you know, learning from the lessons learned, I guess you could say. So that's essentially, you know, my, my whole spin on it. Um, you know, my, I'm not, I've always been in slower fire departments. And so I really got to kind of lean on guys in these busier fire departments. And I've found a lot of guys uh, that I can really trust. And uh, to, to tell me the real deal. And then I can couple that with the experience, even in slower fire departments after 30 some years, you see something <laughs> here and there and, and, and other places. So that's kind of my spin on it. Um, you know, Mike, you want to talk, I think, about your mentors a little bit and some of the things that didn't go well for you. And we'll go around that way. Yeah, if I can figure out how to operate a computer, it'd be even better. But that's what happens when you don't have glasses on. Um, you brought up two points. One, I can't remember what the uh, first one was, but you know, the brain injury. But the, the second one was um, when you are in uh, the fire service and, you, and you're learning, you have a tendency to gravitate towards your first instructors because you trust them. You, you think that they are the all-knowing, the all-powerful Oz, all that. Uh, I had I was fortunate in my original uh, Mifri classes that I had the likes of Eddie Workheiser, Joe Perdue, Skip Carey, uh, that group of guys. And if you, if you knew them in the fire service, it was absolutely no nonsense. They were, they were not there to coddle you. You weren't getting a participation trophy. Every time you did something, it was, I'm going to teach you the life skills that you need so you survive this profession. And they didn't care if they hurt your feelings. Now, they didn't go out of their way to do that. But in the course of education, if you do something dumb, back in those days, you were chastised for it. You were um, educated, so to speak. So I was fortunate in that that I had instructors that cared enough before it was cool to say, 
everybody goes home, uh, you know, the, the, all the other stuff that these guys really care that they're, they were putting their signature on you. You were an example, um, that, that they've created. And, and when you went forth, then you were a product of them. So I was fortunate in, in that right to, um, to have those guys as instructors and learn, learn from them. And then later on in my career, I actually worked, Skip was my truck captain in Salisbury. I worked with Eddie in Salisbury. I worked with Joe in Salisbury, not as crowds of volunteer in Salisbury, but um, I got a chance to know them. And I understood even more as to why they were instructing the way, the way they were. So when I became a MIFRA instructor, I looked back and said, okay, these are the mentors that I want to follow and teach in the way and manner in which they did because I care about my students. So that was three great examples right there of, in, in fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna digress just real quickly. Um, Skip is old enough to be my dad and I remind him of that all the time. And in fact, my birthday was just passed. 8.30 in the morning, I get a phone call from Skip Carey singing me happy birthday. So it, it is a lifetime of giving that these guys do and, they, and they're dedicated to their craft and their people. So anyhow, when I started teaching for Mifri, I wanted to do the same thing for my students. I wanted them to be a reflection of the education that I gave them. I didn't coddle. I did not probably give all the attaboys that I should have done along the way but I imparted the knowledge and wisdom that I had, that I had developed over the course of, at that time, 15 years of fire experience to make sure that they could survive in our profession. It is, uh, we all know instructors who don't do that. We all know instructors who, uh, they're there for one reason and one reason only, and that's because they can have that little chevron that says instructor they can check that box off on the fire officer application because they want to, you know, progress up the, the ladder and do whatnot. They're the dangerous folks. They're not imparting knowledge on their students that they're going to need to survive the profession. I keep saying survive their profession. It's not because you're going to get hurt in a fire. It's not because you're going to be debilitated in a fire. There's also the mental aspect. There's also a whole lot that goes into surviving this career. And I don't think they prepare, some of them don't prepare their students the way they need to. And I saw that in my career. So when it became time for me to be an instructor, I said, okay, I'm going to follow these three guys and how they did things. These instructors, now I'm going to take what I learned from them and make sure I don't impart that on my students. And I think that's a responsibility for all of us, be it instructor or not, you're in the fire service. You're gonna have guys and gals coming in now that uh, they're gonna emulate you. What are you imparting on them that makes you worthy of that honor? And it is an honor, make no mistake about that. If they are giving of their time, paying attention to you, it is your responsibility to impart the best part of you onto them, without question. Trevor, what do you think? Brother, I couldn't have said it any better. And um, Mike, you know, one of the things, you know, you and I came up in the 
the Maryland Fire Rescue, Rescue Institute, the MIFRI system, and you know, I became an instructor at a relatively young age, and I felt very kind of conflicted about that. I, I love teaching. I love you know, learning about the trade, but I was still very young, and I, you know, I look back at that, and Mike, you, you may or may not remember this, and I can't even remember what class it was that you were teaching, but um, it dates back to almost the old uh, comedian Rodney Dangerfield days where he'd say, oh, no respect, no respect. And I remember a student saying to you something just kind of half kidding because you had given them some very stern, constructive criticism. And they said, oh, no respect. And you looked at them it, it, right in the face very calmly and said, respect is who I go down a hallway with. And he just turned away. And it's like, I, I hope that had the, I hope that resonated as much with them as it did with me, because it's like, you know what? This isn't about, and to paraphrase Bobby, you know, this this isn't about you know our, um, you know our, our gear, our equipment, the the symbol on the side of the fire truck. This is about that three year old kid in the Spider Man pajamas that Bobby talks about all the time at the end of the hallway. And when you said that, I'm like, wow, you know, and it, it's kind of that flashback when I talk about the Jimmy Childs and the Mike Hastings and the Skip Carries, where you know, you're going inside a structure fire with them and you basically they have you on their proby leash, which I know Mike actually literally had a proby leash um, <laughs> that he would clip on to probationary members. But, you know, again, you know, in, in this day and age, you know, that might be offensive. But the point being is you were trying to say, look, here's the good, the bad and the ugly of my career. I'm going to share this with you. I'm going to mentor this with you. Yeah. And this is a job that can kill you. It can kill you in the next five minutes. So, you know what? We're not going to issue band-aids for feelings. We're going to do the right thing. And I'm going to tell you some things that you might not want to hear, but it's going to keep you alive. Or better yet, it's going to you know, keep the people that you're serving alive. So you know, with that being said, um, you know, Mike, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. You, you try to emulate from some of these people, but you also see where some of the training has gone, where it's become that checkbox training just to say, okay, um, we're going to do a ladder drill. So you and 15 of your closest friends now are going to throw this 24 foot ladder. You know, let, let's look at this, you know, versus how we're staffed. And I mean, that, that's a whole nother uh, conversation for another time. But the point being is you, you kind of go back, like you said, Mike, to the, the very first people who influenced you, good or bad. The very first shift I worked in Ocean City, I was an 18 year old kid. I worked with George Johnson, Larry Buchanan. I, I was on their crew. That was the best day in my fire service career was my first day. I've had some other great days. I ran a, a, a house fire at 43rd Street. We ran a cardiac arrest and probably like 16 other calls that day. I'm like, oh, my God, I thought I hit the lottery. Okay, it, it, it was wonderful. And I had to go up to our um, our shift commander, who was Tim Price, and go up to him and say, um, Mr. Price, sir, do you mind if I, this is my first day on the job. Mr. Price, do you mind if I leave 45 minutes early tonight? Why? I said, well, I'd like to go get my high school diploma. I graduate tonight, sir. So, you know, that was one of the things that, you know, that was a very uh, you know, pivotal part of my fire service career because you know, it, it established that family. And not only did I, you know, he let me go 45 minutes early on my first day of work, but guys showed up to my high school graduation that I had worked with for the last 11 and a half hours or 11 hours and 15 minutes. So that was kind of, you know, that really established something in my mind to say, wow, this is something even more special than what I realized. And so, you know, going forward, you know, you look at some of the people in the industry that we've been fortunate enough to to work with and some of those initial instructors that we've had who didn't cut us any slack. And whether they had the official, like you said, like the Chevron that said instructor, or these were people that said, look, you you are, you are under, you're on my watch, you're underneath my supervision and care. So, you know, this is the way it's gonna be. 
Um, and Mike, you, you, you've been one of those people over your career where, you know, I guarantee, again, we go back to pages seven, eight, nine of the employee manual, um, thou shalt not put a leash on a probationary member. Mike, you would do that and you know, tell, tell them why you did it. It wasn't to demean anybody, it wasn't anything else, but why would you literally put a leash on a probationary member when you're dragging them through a building? Well, it, it was to teach. And we had a, a history, um, both in Berlin and Ocean City, folks would leave you. And they weren't, in my opinion, they weren't trained to experience what fire really was. And I'm responsible for that person. And I don't want them leaving me, number one, or two, crawling away from me and having having another issue. But they're under my care and control. And I can control them by taking a two and a half foot piece of rope, look looping it through their Scott bottle and putting the other hand or the other loop around my hand. I know where they are. They are in my care and control. They're not going to leave me. They're going to get taught. They're not going to get hurt because I'm not going to put them in a situation that's going to cost them or me physical bodily harm, but they're going to get educated. And that's what needs to happen. Um, I had to go around with, with Mifri 20 years ago when the burn building first came up and Trevor, you were involved in that also. And yeah, so that was when Mifri was making the shift from when we could actually burn to, well, we just want to, we want smoke. We don't want this. We don't want that. We don't want anyway, long story short is I felt that they weren't getting the training they needed anymore to do a functional interior attack because they weren't being exposed to what they're actually going to see in real life circumstances. So part of the probe leash was you're going to see what it's really like. This is, this is what we do. This is, we get to the seat, we put the, the wet on the red and while we're going, this is the jobs that we have to do while we're going. And the best way to see it is up close and personal. And I kept them with me. They're my responsibility. And Mike, and let's be clear about this too, that you, there's not, that being said, it's not like there's a bunch of cowboy crap going on. You're not going to let harm come to the person. You're trying to say, look, we can have realistic training and be safe at the same time, but we're not going to coddle you and give you a false sense of what it's like in the real world. We're going to try to get you as close as we can to real life uh, scenario and circumstances without killing you. Because you're, you know, let's let's face it, a burn building is a controlled laboratory. That's what it's intended to be. And it's intended to be a very controlled environment where, you know, hopefully nothing's going to go wrong. But that's what we we give the students a false sense of security because they think they've slain the dragon when they've been in the burn building versus us saying, hey, guys, look, this is a fire simulation laboratory. This is to show you some rough conditions. Uh, we're going to show you thermal layering. We're going to show you incipient, uh, incipient fires, a little little bit of rollover. It's not going to flash on you because you know, this concrete is going to absorb so much heat over the next two and three hours. You're, you're not going to get the flash over. We, we have to be honest with the students and tell them what it is and what it isn't. Because you have some of them coming out of there and they get a little bit of soot on their helmet or they get a, a tetrahedron a little bit wrinkled. And they think that they're, you know, Barney Badass. It's like, look, one hot fire doesn't make a fireman. I'm sorry, you know that that's not that's not what makes a fireman. 
But what does make a fireman is when you're, you're taking in the conditions, you're seeing things, you're communicating those things, and you're, you're, you're doing that constant loop of, of going down the hallway, you're checking conditions, you're, uh, you're either hitting the overhead, flowing water, not flowing water, search and rescue, whatever the case is. So I think that a lot of times we inadvertently kind of build up the um, the excitement for these people, but not be real honest with them and say, this this isn't what it's really like. This is this is going to be a close facsimile, but this this is a training laboratory. That's what it's designed to do. Past that, you're going to have to have the real world experience because the first time a piece of plaster and okay, um, for for some folks there's plaster and lab that you know, falls out of the ceiling, but the first time a piece of plaster hits them in the helmet, and Chicken Little thinks the freaking sky is falling, and they go jetting out the door, hence the proby leash. That's when you can reel them back in and say it's okay. It's a piece of plaster out of the ceiling that happens. It wasn't going to happen in the burn building because you know, we got the pageant up there. And if that spalls, we got bigger problems. And plus we have a report to do at the end. So mm. just saying. Mm. Yeah. When uh, the other thing I wanted to mention earlier, uh, you know, the brain injury. Thank you, Bobby. Was when you go through the MIFRI back in the day in Delaware was the same way. You did try to get as many certifications as fast as you could get them. And it was it was a race. It was a competition. It, it was all that. Well, and, and that's all well and good. Part of the things I've learned along the way is you can have every class Mifri offers. And at one point I did. If you don't have the experience, the practical experience to go with those pieces of paper, they're just pieces of paper. That That's all they are. You have to have the practical experience to back up those papers to make them credible. That's why I look back at some of the instructors that, that I have seen teach in the past and they had all the documentation. They looked beautiful. They had no practical experience. So when they're teaching to their students, they cannot relay that practical experience aspect. They teach the book, but that's, that's the book. Well, Mike and Bobby, let me ask you guys both this as you know, it, long-term state fire school instructors in addition to you know, instructing outside of that format. I'm all for standards and making sure that we meet industry standards and that we have some line in the sand that delineates you know, where we should be as an industry. I get that. How, um, one of the things that in the old school system that we used to have is you actually had a, when you took basic fire, there was a period of time after basic fire that you had to spend time in the field before you took special fires or fire, you know, whatever it was after that. So you had time to actually be a practitioner of your trade. Now you can go through firefighter one, firefighter two, be a crew leader, and you've never had your ass on the working end of a hose line outside of uh, pallets and straw. So I, what I want to say is, you know, what, where do you guys see the balance? And this, I know we're kind of getting a little off topic, but I think this is a good tangent. Where do you guys see the balance between making sure we meet the current industry standards solution in today's fire service and making sure that not only do we have the, the classroom and practical portion of it, but how do we gain that experience in between? Almost like the EMS end where after you're an EMT, you had to have 150 calls before you went on to an ALS thing, 150 documented calls that you actually got your hands on a real patient and not, you know, silicone Sally in the, uh, in the lab. So where, where do you guys feel that uh, we are in that and good, bad, and indifferent? 
Bobby, I'm going to let you answer that since I've been out of the game for a couple of years. So, <laughs> um, wow, that is a, that is a question. Um, you know, I was very blessed to be able to teach for the Delaware State Fire School. Um, you know, I was a training officer in my local volunteer fire department, and and that opportunity got me to go to a different place. Um, the one thing that I, I think I, I can only think about my own journey through this whole thing. Um, to answer your first question about the standards versus real life, um, if we teach good, proper, fundamental, real life ways to do it, it will fit the standard. Um, I've done a lot of standard checking when we do stuff, and if you teach the proper way to do something, um, it's almost always going to meet the standard. So, to give you just a short example, of that um, they say you need to have two members together at all times inside of an IDLH, right? Um, and we said to people, hey, I'm going to be at the door and I'll talk to you, you know, and we worked it out within doing the right thing. We're still in contact with each other. So we talked about voice contact because the standard didn't say you had to have Hickman's rookie leash. The standard said the two of you had to be together. The standard didn't say you had to touch each other. But a lot of places, a lot of fire academies, a lot of places started having people hook to each other because that's kind of how they interpreted it. So. Um, but, but my traveling through teaching for state academies was when you start off teaching, you don't know Jack. Um, when you start off teaching, you don't know anything because in my opinion, the final phase of learning is teaching. So, um, it's one thing if you know how to tie a bowling, that is nothing compared to trying to t explain to 10 people how to tie a bowling. Um, and so what do you have to do as an instructor? You have to break that thing down to, to how you never thought about it before to make sure that a guy like Hickman could understand it, you know? <laughs> um, and, and so, so that's that, that depth of education is, is actually when you're teaching. The problem is that's the cost of students. You know, we all started off as instructors. It costs the students because we were just learning, you know, but that's just, that's just part of the gig, but I, I'll never forget it. I was up in, Delaware, and, and you know, when you're an instructor and they say, hey, you want to teach this? You go, yeah. Hey, you want to teach that? You go, yeah. Hey, you want to teach this? You go, yeah. It doesn't matter if you know what the hell you're talking about or not. When you're young, you think you could, you're invincible, you can do anything. And I'll never forget, I was doing a uh, truck company for their, I think it was called structural firefighting at the time. Um, and I was doing truck company, and I really wasn't qualified to do truck company. So I was doing the through the lock commercial door entry thing. And I didn't know what I was doing. But I figured out a way to make it work. It wasn't the right way. And I'll never forget it. Little Franny came by, and anyone that taught in Delaware State Fire School knows exactly who I'm talking about. But little Franny came by, and I guess he saw me. And he had been in the fire service a lot longer than I had, and he had no filter. And he just kind of walked up and watched it once. And he walked in front of me, and he took the next student, and he did it right. And he just kind of gave me this disappointed look and walked away. You know? And, and that was probably my first lesson of, you know, even though you're teaching, you need to be learning all the time. You know, and that's that's part of the difficulty about being an instructor is you have to be learning all the time because um, everybody in that room knows something you don't know. I don't give a shit. It was a brand new probie guy that's never been in a fire in his entire life. I guarantee you he knows something you don't know. And that's kind of, you know, the, what I learned kind of going through the whole teaching thing. The My beef with state fire academies and things like that a little bit is that they play too safe. Um, I, I really think they play too safe. I don't. I think that a lot of fire departments, especially volunteer fire departments, expect these guys to come out and be qualified firefighters. 
And I think the academy's expectations are that the fire departments are going to teach you how to do it. You know what I mean? And, and I've talked to guys in the cities, and it's the same way there, that they get a very generic kind of watered down. We can't really hurt anybody. We can't do anything, which is probably the same argument Hickel was having back in the 80s and 90s with Mifri is the same exact stuff. And I think they play a little bit too safe. And, I, and you know, teaching privately, Trevor and I, sometimes we play a little bit too crazy. Sometimes we take an idea and run with it too fast before we kind of play it out and make sure it's the right thing to do and kind of do that thing. So there's somewheres in between all these private companies out here, like teaching all the newest, craziest stuff and the state academies that are so conservative about these things that I just think the students are going in there and basically they're getting a show and tell on kind of what it's like to wear an air pack in a limited visibility environment. And they're really not taking a lot more than that from some of these academies. And, and they're great places, and I think they're very important places. I think they just need to take more risks to get a better level of education out there. That's that's my beef with state academies. But the other side of it is a lot of our private brothers that do this have hurt and killed people, too, you know, um, using accelerants in houses and things. Um, I just heard the other day there's there's I heard people were still using accelerants to do live fire training. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You know, so there, there's there's two sides of the whole coin. We got to meet in the middle somewhere. That That's just my opinion about it. And, and Bobby, to your point, um, one of the most honest answers I've ever heard come out. And Mike, I'm sorry this was after your time with Mifri, but um, you know, we had the annual instructor meetings, and usually they they become piss and moan sessions. And you know, sometimes they're productive, sometimes they're not. And it's probably been about at least eight or nine years ago where we had a moment of clarity where one of the directors or one of the higher ups in the academy said, "Look." The state fire academies are not designed to give you a turnkey firefighter, and uh, you could hear you could hear a pin drop in the room because all of us were you know, pushing to different things where we need to be more streetwise, you know, be more uh, pragmatic with you know, our, our, our how we produce firefighters and what we're putting out there. Is that you know, as a state academy, we and I'm, I'm paraphrasing what they said. As a state academy, we have to be able to deliver a program that is equally as applicable to a rural fire department as it is an urban fire department. The onus is on the individual fire departments to fill in the blanks. And, and uh, Bill Carey actually brought up in uh, what in his comment here a little while ago, same thing. So that was an epiphany to the instructors because we were all really saying, well, we got to do this, got to do that. And why would you teach, why would you teach mountain rescue to people in the Eastern shore of Maryland? And why would you teach surf rescue to people in the mountains of Western Maryland? And we, we, we had all these great ideas, but when they finally said, look, you know, the, the fire chiefs in this state have a, a misconception that they're going to get a plug and play firefighter. And but a lot of the you know, like anything else, whether you're a volunteer career or combination, you didn't have the resources, the time, the money, anything else to invest in that firefighter once they came to you. And all these chiefs were saying, give me a final product that when they come to my fire department, I can stick them in a, a jump seat and they're plug and play. And that was the disconnect that we had never talked about. So in fairness to the state fire academies, their function isn't to give you a plug and play firefighter, but that's what we thought for years. And that's what we thought we were producing in the programs. And we were pissed as instructors when we weren't getting the backing to produce the plug and play firefighter, but that was never the intent of the state academies. So as the individual departments, yes, that's where the that captains and lieutenants, the training officers, if they're so equipped, really come in or it's up to the chiefs to figure out how to bridge that gap. So, I mean, that moment of honesty, I think from a state academy went so far in my mind and it was really for me an epiphany 
Um, and that actually changed a little bit the way I was teaching because, you know, Mike, I think you had already left. As a as a young officer, and I was trying to bring more fire training into um, the department I used to work for in Ocean City, and again, this circles back. You know, Doug Scott's kind of a cornerstone of a lot of these things. I expected anyone who had been in the fire service longer than me, they had to know more than me, they had to be more intelligent, they had to have more experience. They they knew more than I did, but I was responsible for doing the training, and I was getting very frustrated if I had to do it over again. I mean, this was a big lesson learned, and. I was I would get so frustrated at the end of the evolution that I was kind of, you know, uh, as we would say in, in Maryland, you know, we had three levels of instructor. But, you know, we had instructor one, two and three. But you, know, you start going instructor 15 on people, you know, you know, you're, you're kind of going like the early army, you know, I can't believe this. What the hell? You know, so you're, you're kind of getting your instructor voice on. And then Dougie Scott pulls me aside and says, Trevor, you just tell them what you expect. I'm like, well, they should know. And he goes. They've never had this level of formalized fire training before. It's all been individually based. He said, you're, you're the one who's brought formalized fire training to the department. you got to give them a roadmap. And it was one of those minutes where you just sat there dumbfounded and go, you know, you, you kind of figured out that one and one equal two. But it, it took people like, you know, Dougie Scott and Dell Baker to pull me aside and say, look, dude, we, we know you're trying to go in the right direction and do the right thing. You've just got to tell these people what they expect because they've never had this level of formalized training. So that was a lesson learned for me to take a different approach and not make assumptions that just because people have been in longer than you, that they have the same outlook. And and, say, and, and that's something that Mike taught me, too, um, you know, over the years where, you know, I might get fired up and very passionate about something. And Hickman was always good about putting the hand on your shoulder. And, and you're, you're very much. Um, how can I put this? You're very different, but very similar to like a Donald Fisher. And for those of you who don't know who Donald Fisher is, he was one of the um, long-serving chiefs of uh, Ocean City. A very, a very quiet man, a very humble man. But when he said something, you better shut up and listen because he had a lot of good stuff to say. And um, you know, Mike was you know very similar to that, where he could give you some sage advice and put that hand on your shoulder and say, "Okay, look." Think about it this way, and that's one of the things, um, just kind of going around the horn here a little bit, that I respect so much about Bobby as well, because you know, Mike, you know, me, me, you, and Ben can see something very much in black and white. Bobby's going to see that shade of gray that neither, none of us considered, and we're going to have that dumb look on our face. Go, oh, never thought about that. So, give yourself the opportunity to, you know, no matter how much time you have in or how much of a uh, visceral reaction you have to something be open enough to think there's another way to do it. And, you know, Mike and Bobby, you guys have always been great at that. So how, how have you guys in your career overcome people like me who were young, full of piss and vinegar, trying to do things right, but that you had to kind of rechannel the energy? How, how, did, how did you work with uh, you know, people like me? You mean besides medication? And alcohol, yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, patients. You've got to have patience, and you've got to. In, in your case, you were easy, been told that and I mean that because I, wasn't you, cheap. The I might have been easy, wasn't cheap. Yeah, exactly. You're the you're the Labrador. You you wanted to make everybody happy, exactly, and that's a good thing. Trust me, because you were you were the play though. We could mold you. We could we could give you the information. You were the sponge. You took everything in. But you yeah, also asked all the right questions. We'll, we'll talk about that. Afterwards. So, 
you you were easy. And I mean that with the utmost respect because you had the thirst for knowledge. You were dedicated. Um, you were impressionable, which, which was good and bad, by the way, because some of the practical jokes you did just went way too far. They were just, they were way out. But Go I ahead. think that's probably more of an I, answer I know you show conversation. Okay. Um, real, real quick, I don't want I don't want to cut, cut Hickman off, but the 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 ultimate thing is when you call my mother to get my locker combinations so you can break into. Never mind. That that was just that was new don't, low, Mike. But anyway, another another show, another time. So, guys like you, it's easy. It's the ones who don't have the desire, who are kind of the, just like swimming through because they 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 want the front tag on the truck that says firefighter. They want to be able to do the social stuff. They want to be able to say they wear the jacket with their their affiliation. They, they want the T-shirt, so to speak. They're the ones that are difficult because, you know, at some point in time, they're going to have the opportunity to make a difference or not make a difference. And because they have not put serious thought and effort into what they're doing, they're going to make the 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 bad decision, the wrong choice. They're not going to be able to help when they should be able to. So uh, they're the ones that I struggle with or have struggled with through the years because I know from the very beginning that they're not there for the right reason. And, and we've seen it. Um, I was notorious for the first few weeks of, of our summer help season, summer not, of making people get out of the ambulance, walk back to the firehouse and quit. But it wasn't because I was being a complete and total ass. Well, I was, but I also knew from the very get-go that they weren't going to perform to the level that we required in Ocean City. It, it's just that simple. And um, I knew that if I forced the issue, they didn't have it in their heart to stay and learn and be educated and be what we desired, and they would quit. They literally guy got out of 17th Street, walked back to 15th Street, and said, I can't take this anymore, and drove back to Virginia. Sorry for your luck, but the benefit was we were, we were better off at that point. Bobby, I see you nodding your head. <laughs> oh my God! Um, sure, I don't. I really don't. I mean, I don't know how to add to that, Mike. I mean, I think that's you know, um, I think that, that as people kind of look to us to give them instruction and things like that. Um, when you say people are here for the wrong reasons, I think we all started for the wrong reasons. Um, I, I got to tell you something. I, I don't, I don't know of any firemen that came in because they wanted to serve their community. I know we say that a lot. I know we write it on lots of fire trucks and placards and signs and fun That's the interview. And everything else. But <laughs> in reality, our next amusement park ride, you know what I mean? It was something very exciting. It was something very different for me. It was anyway, uh, it was very, very exciting and very different. And, and, and long time into this thing, trying to figure out where I fit into it. You know what I mean? How I, how to pull a hand line, how to operate in zero visibility, how to not be scared to death. You know what I mean? How to work through your fears, to, how to do all that kind of stuff. I, I kind of went through all those phases and later on I realized I, I saw the rules that we made for firemen were all about firemen and firefighters, I guess you should say, you know? And so I was like, yeah, I looked at two in, two out. And I said, well, what's that about? That's about two firefighters outside in case two firefighters get in trouble inside. I looked at a continuous water supply. What was that about? That was about making sure that these guys didn't run out of water inside of a fire. Um, you know, looked at staffing models. We looked at, you know, you can look at four, you look, everything. You know, you, you can look at everything. Um, 
And all of a sudden, a light bulb flashed in my head that this has nothing to do with an eight-year-old in flannel pajamas at the end of a hallway. You know, all of the things that we put in place are really for our safety. But our mission is that eight-year-old in flannel pajamas at the end of the hallway. And, and, and that was a really good awakening for me um, because it kind of, you know, I've never taught nor have I ever seen taught at any fire academy anywhere in this country where search and rescue was asking someone out front if someone was inside. So in the world of two in and two out, the OSHA rule, it says that if there's a rescue, that the OSHA rule does not apply for two and two out. The only way I know there's nobody inside that building is by completing a search. And so I've kind of looked at the standards and, and, and things like that and said, you really need to think all the time about the citizens that we serve. You know, I, we're in this for the fun. We love this, this, this gig. We love doing the firefighting. We love doing, uh, hell, I love doing the paramedic stuff. I love it. And, and I love doing all that stuff. But in reality, I love it because it's a, it's very, a great joy for me to do this gig. But on the other, at the end of the day, it really is about the person at the end of the IV. It's really about the eight-year-old in flannel pajamas. It's about the person that didn't call. You know what I mean? It's right. It's all good and well to come out. And say, okay, there's nobody inside. You know, when 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 an apparatus shows up right away and says there's nobody inside, I know someone told them that. You know, and sadly, in in Pennsylvania a few years ago, uh, the daycare workers told them there's nobody inside. And I don't know if it changed their tactics or not, but I know later on they had miscounted. What a horrible day that is. You know what I mean? So that's that's kind of my whole spin. So you know, as being an instructor, we never know it all. We got to continue to learn. And we always got to remember that we get the privilege of doing this, but we our payment is to always think about the eight-year-old in flannel pajamas at the end of the hallway first. So that's that's kind of I guess, I don't know if that answers your questions or not. I don't know, but that's just kind of my that's kind of my closing too. I mean, that's really I think we're getting close to the end here. So um, I really appreciate you having on, Mike. And uh, you know, I, I never knew that your first fire was a line of duty death. I, I didn't know that, and. Um, you know, uh, props to you for staying in here and, and, and using that experience to teach other guys. Um, that That's really, really great that you stayed around for us, man. So uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that, brother. Um, I was thinking earlier today when Ben gave the topic and, and, and all that, um, don't be the firefighter who's stuck in the 70s. And what I mean by that is we all know the guy in the firehouse who – one day he just decides that's it. I'm not going to learn anymore. I'm not going to progress from this point forward. I'm I'm going to be stuck on my last day of training, which was November 6, 1974, and on a cardiac arrest, our first drug was sodium bicarb. Don't don't be that guy. Uh, if if you're if you find yourself in that routine, you might want to start thinking about making other changes. Not necessarily leaving the career, but reevaluating your situation and saying, how can I be the best person that I can be? That is probably the biggest insult that you can do to your profession is you stop. You just I, I don't know what happens, a trigger point, something like that, but get past it, work past it, be a better person. And uh, Ben, Trevor, Bobby, I really do appreciate the invitation. Uh, this has been very, very informative. I would like to come back at another uh, episode and uh, 
Bobby brought, yeah, you know, it, Bobby brought up something that is near and dear to my heart. And it, it I, I thought about the topic a while back and it's, it's basically, it's the firehouse round table. It's the stories that you tell and the kids are listening and they get this, uh, I got to be like these guys. And when, when you get in the fire service and listen to the old guys, no, no uh, house or no structure is vacant until proven so by the fire department. And I, I, I kind of have issues with that when guys are telling the story because they leave out the, one of the biggest parts of it. And I'd like to have a round table discussion with uh, the four of us when it comes to fire department lore and you're sitting around telling stories, what it does to the younger generation. Gentlemen, I do appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. Thank you very much. Mike, um, absolutely. And I, th I think that should be its own show. It might be a part one, two, and three. Um, I've got a lot of stories to tell about Mike. 99% of them are very positive. Um, I was just getting ready to type it in, but I figured, you know, since you kind of led into it, um, you know, Mike has used people as doormats as well. But after, after he stepped on people getting into a structure to do a search or, you know, knock a fire down, He's been very kind. He's picked them back up and dusted his boot print off their back. And, you know, he called them Matt for the rest of the uh, you know, rest of the day. So we've been on a lot of those fires together, Mike. Um, we've been through a lot of doors together, not only, um, you know, on the fire side, but on the LE side as well. And, uh, you know, I say great, great deal of respect for, um, you know, not only the mentorship, but the friendship that you've given, not only to me, but a lot of people in the industry. And, you know, um, yeah, Mike always kind of says it how it is, and it, it's it's un, it's unfiltered, but you know it's going to be true. And each and every time, um, you know, he's he's going to give you the, the the plain version of what's going on, and uh, it's going to be the very honest truth. So I think that you know, as far as trying to emulate people who are mentors in the industry, um, you know, Mike, you're definitely one of those people. Again, from a uh, personal professional side. Um, nothing but love and respect for you, brother. Again, you've been there for me in, uh, you know, good times, the worst times, and some of the freaking funniest times I've ever had, um, you know, on, on the job and in personal life as well. So um, with that being said, uh, yeah, I'll pitch back to Ben, just kind of close us out. But, um, you know, I think it's important to kind of do a little bit of introspection to say, you know, what have I done well over my career? What have I not not so well? And if I had to do it over again, which is kind of a little bit of the premise of tonight's show, um, you know, what, what are those things? Because you, you own your mistakes, but you never really fail. Either you succeed or you learn. And if you don't have that mindset, then it goes back to what Mike said, that you're, you're stuck at whatever um, plateau, whatever stratification layer that you decided to exit the fire service. Don't be a rod. Don't be retired on duty. Um, I see my, my boy Wade's in here. What's that? What's that? What the hell is a stratification layer? That, that, that's an officer word, man. Apparently that's some shit. It's, 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 all, it's, it's on the captain's test, Bobby. Bobby, it's on the captain's test. You don't have to worry about that one. So, um, <laughs> sorry, brother. Had to throw, had to throw you under the bus. Change your oil while you're there. But, um, you know, but, but make make sure as, as as you go back, you do some introspection and say, look, you know what? What can I do better? And and be honest with yourself. Um, you know, there there's some things. Look, you're going to make some bad decisions um, over the course of your career. I, I don't want to say that's OK, but it, it, as long as you learn from them and you can use them as a teaching point, then move forward with it uh, by all means. But don't sit there. Don't hide your mistakes. Don't bury your mistakes. But don't. And I'll, I'll say this um, kind of as an ending point. From an officer standpoint, from an instructor standpoint, we always want to be infallible. 
don't be afraid to be vulnerable in front of your people. Um, yeah, I saw my boy Wade on here earlier. They call they used to call them the Loafs, the uh, League of Average Firefighters out there in the Midwest, out in Kansas. So, you know, don't don't be afraid to fail in front of your people. You know, they understand you're human, but just be honest with it and say, guys, you know, look, I f that up. That was that was not my finest day. Because you'll you'll be amazed at how quick your brothers and sisters will pick you back up and say, dude, it's okay. Because you know what? You were able to show them that you were honest with them because you're honest with yourself. And that's one of the things, um, that's one of the traits I think that I've seen, um, you know, not only through Mike, you especially over the years, Bobby, you do that through your teaching and in your everyday stuff. And, um, you know, Ben, that's something I think that you instill uh, in your folks coming up. So, again, Mike, glad to have you on here. We're going to have you on here again. Please shave that crap off your face. It's freaking me out. But I love you, brother. And I'll pitch it over to Ben. <laughs> Well, thanks, guys. Again, it was a, it was a great show. I, I uh, echo all the sen- the statements from you guys um, to this point. I just just to kind of close things up and wrap up. The one thing that I the common theme that I had heard through all of this is our mentors. We like that fifty fifty, like that that Bobby first mentioned in the very beginning. The fifty percent good, the fifty percent. I'm not going to say bad. I'm going to say honest um, because you know if if it's good, it's honest either way. Um, but but don't be afraid to give them that that constructive criticism to build them up to to make them better. Um, some well, geez, Bobby, you didn't have to. All right, um, but that was but, that was but, that was Delaware Internet. The, the, oh, okay. the, the, yeah, the hamster they didn't feed him. He stopped running, so they, they they cut him off. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like Bobby had mentioned, you know, be honest with your folks. Give them give them the good when they deserve it. At the same time, don't be afraid to put that boot up their their hind parts to let them know. But then make sure you follow that back up and, and build them back up so that way they, they don't leave knowing or thinking that that's what you think of them. Um, those new people, they're very impressionable, and, and we have to take care of them. Um, you know, they if they're especially new to the fire service in general, they've never – they don't have any family members in it. They come in out of nowhere, and they're just looking for a direction. Um, we can't we can't treat those people, you know, the bad all the time. We have to give them the good. We have to give them the the um, encouragement. Um, but like like we've like we've talked all night, you have to give them the honesty. You have to give them the truth of the matter. You have to give them what it's going to be like in the real world. Um, and that that's for their safety and it's for our safety. I mean, ultimately, when they're on the end of the Hickman leash, which I do believe is available in the fire store, uh, comes in glow in the dark and in black. Um, so. Um, so that is available. Make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, it is licensed and endorsed by Michael W. C. Hickman. I don't know those. I have no idea what your initials are, but there we go. Um, it is Michael T. Hickman. <laughs> and, you know, supplies are limited. Order now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I only make about one a day, so better get it. Um, so, so take your time and invest in that in that person, and and be be the mentor that that brought you up. All right. Take that time and be be the right be the right people to take care of your people. So with that being said, um, thank you again for joining everybody. We are back uh, December, December. Holy cow. October 29th. Uh, so the day before thanks or before I'm all messed up the day before Halloween. Um, have no idea what we're doing yet, but I promise it's going to be good. So uh, keep watching our Facebook page. Uh, also, we did just redesign the, the website, so check that out. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, 
uh, something we screwed up, something I screwed up when we when we redid that, let me know so we can get it corrected. Uh, but other than that, stay safe, take care, and uh, we'll see you guys in two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.